0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Let me take this time again just to welcome you. Thank you for joining us here at Calvary on this beautiful morning. Uh, some of you seem a little more excited today. Maybe it could be the coffee that you got as you came in or that, that nice little donut. Uh, that was just uh, kind of help you. I appreciate Gail and their team bringing that together because I know this is a tough morning for some of you. You may have lost an hour of sleep, so we're trying to infuse you with a little caffeine today. So I hope that you enjoyed that, and I'm just glad that you're here. Let me just go on record as saying I am so proud of these teenagers that are up here Sunday. Would you just give them another hand? Now there were a couple up there that weren't teenagers. I'll let you guess which ones they were, but the others man, what a great job they did. And that wasn't it, the quality was phenomenal, but did you see their hearts? You could just see it in their faces? They were worshiping the Lord and leading us there. Thank you guys. You did a great job today, and I'm, I'm glad you all were able to experience that. We are right now going through this month of, of March, a series entitled "The Final Hours." We're looking at literally the last week of Jesus' life, the last things He did before the resurrection talking about what he did, what he thought, what, he, uh, what were some of the, the, the actions and the things that he taught. The thing, what, how did he spend those last seven sunrises? What, what was going on in his life, and what was he doing with those in the lives around him? And, and what a great question. What would you do if you knew you only had a few hours left to live? You knew, you knew when it was going to happen, which he did, and, and knowing it's all coming to his conclusion, what, what are you going to do in those last hours? And that's what we begin to see as we're walking through this series. It's interesting, if you look through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four of the New Testament, which is basically a biography of Jesus' life in, in just simple terms. But the basically, there's a lot that happens in Jesus' life early and then throughout the different parts. But if you were to, to study it, you'll find that full third plus of the Gospels, spends time in this last week of Jesus' life. A full third of all four of the Gospels is based on just the last week of Jesus' life. A lot is going on in these last several days, a lot that he wants us to learn, a lot of things that, that could happen. So last Sunday, if you were here, uh, you walked with Jesus into Jerusalem with us. As he was riding on the, on the donkey, as he came through those gates, and the crowds were, were, were hollering Hosanna, and there was palm leaves being spread, and it was just a beautiful celebration as this week gets kicked off on that triumphal entry. So today, guess what day we're on? We're on Monday, all right? Well, just think of that word. Some of you already went, oh, no, because you know that after tonight comes what? Monday, all right? Well, with that thought in mind, I just, just for a thought, I was thinking through to see if any of these uh, memes would, would uh, apply to your life. You'll see a couple on the screen. If Monday had a face, this would be it. <laughs> Good morning. Just, just to be thinking, maybe some of you, this could be it. Look, look at the next one. Uh, this is when the alarm goes off on Monday morning. morning. <laughs> I, I, the next one I like this this young guy Mondays. You're telling me this is going to happen every week, right? Now some of you will appreciate this last one. Monday morning yoga, nailed it. All right. Now some of you that's that's you on Monday mornings, right? So I, I'm just I'm just thinking as you think about what we're going to happen after today is is Monday. Mondays are some kinds kind of tough. And these final hours, we get to Monday of that day. Now, maybe Mondays aren't that bad for you. Maybe they're worse for you. I, I don't know where it is, but here's what we know: We're on Monday after Palm Sunday. Now, if you were here last week, or you know anything about this, Palm Sunday was a big event. Palm Sunday—I just described it in, in in just small terms a minute ago—but it was huge. I mean, the the crowds, the the excitement, the, the everything that was happening. This is a huge, now. The next day, everything gets back to real life. Now everything's back to normal. We're going to see Jesus' and his disciples go back in the city, and there's no crowds. There might be a few people picking up some palm leaves, but it's really going back to real life. The question we have today, and I think Jesus is going to kind of pose it through what he's going to show us, is, is what happened on Sunday going to affect what happened Monday through the rest of this week? Are you even going to remember Sunday by the time you get to Thursday? We know from this crowd that the mood changed within three days. What they were cheering on Sunday, they were booing on Thursday in very real terms. So just try to make this real. Is what we're doing today real? Is what happens on a Sunday in our lives, is it real? Or is it just a little event that we kind of shove into our schedule when it, when it works? Or is it something significant in our life? Is what, is what we're saying about Jesus in, in here in this room on a Sunday, is it really something that's going to be real for you every day throughout the rest of this week? Or is this just something we kind of do because we feel obligated or we feel it helps us a little? Is, this, is what's going to happen here today going to affect what's going to happen to you Monday through Saturday of this next week. Are you going to remember this come Wednesday, come Thursday? You see, I think what Jesus is trying to tell us is it is meant to be that real. This thing about God, this thing about what the spiritual journey, this thing of who Jesus is and what he came to do is meant to affect every day of our lives. In fact, it's meant to filter and affect every part, every moment of our lives. It's not an event. It's a life. It's a lifestyle, and I think Jesus is, in these last minutes, when he's going to say some of his last things, one of the things he wants to get across is how real this really should be, and I think we're even going to see some some things in here to show us how it really can be that real on a daily basis. So let's go to the book of Mark, chapter number 11. Book of Mark 11, starting in verse 12, this is how it's introduced. It says, the next day, so if you were back at 11, you know what he's talking about. This is after Palm Sunday. So the next day, assuming it was happening on Sunday, this would be Monday. Monday, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distant a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say say this. So what does Jesus do on these last days? Well, let me me tell you one thing he's going to do here on Monday. He's going to perform one of his last miracles, and it's going to be quite an unusual one. As, we, as we're going to see, it's a miracle, but it's, it's quite odd, at least by other uh, comparison to other things. He's also going to begin to teach them some valuable lessons about what to do now as, as he's leaving. Here's how life goes on. And he's going to use a very specific object lesson to make that happen. In fact, that's what we're, I kind of I don't always do this, but it just kind of made sense. There's a title today, and the today, to title today's theme or thought is this It is Fruit, Faith, and a Fig Tree. Because we're going to see exactly how Jesus is using a, a, a living object lesson to teach not only his disciples something about life and making this real, but also for us. So what I think we have is a fig tree becomes the focal point now of the of this, I think, this last passage, or this passage we're going to look at. And we're just going to use this as a sample, I, I don't believe this is a, a fig tree, and and it's not real, by the way, in case you're wondering, but we're just looking at it, okay? So this becomes a focal point. The idea, this becomes, as we move through this first day, Monday, and we're actually part of what we're going to talk about today goes into the next day, Tuesday morning. And in these two parts of, of this last week, we're going to see something in, in, interesting. But Let's go back and read the, look at the passage again. It starts in a town called Bethany. Now, the reason I point that out, if you were here last Sunday, then hopefully Bethany rings a bell to you because that's where Sunday started. Palm Sunday started in this town called Bethany. That's where he left from. He, he, he came as he was going to Jerusalem. He started in this town of Bethany. Now, why is that interesting? Well, think about this with me. What we find is Bethany becomes kind of the... Uh, the headquarters, if you would, for Jesus and his disciples were in that, when they're in that part of the country. When they would come, he had two, uh, he had a, f- a family of friends there. If you, if you know anything about the story, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all from Bethany. So whenever Jesus was in this area, that would be probably where he would stay within their home. And Bethany became kind of a launching pad for what he did in that area. So even this last week, it comes down to starting and coming to Beth- Bethany. Bethany was approximately two miles from Jerusalem, just on the other side of this Mount of Olives and and it was in this town that Jesus would come to and what we find in scripture this last week starting from Sunday, actually Saturday on through up until you get to Thursday every day we see Jesus coming from Bethany into Jerusalem and then at the end of the day he would go back to Bethany to spend the evening and so this became just kind of the hub of these last week of activities but for our purposes today this is what I found very interesting One of the prominent meanings, if you were to look at meanings of the word Bethany, there are a variety of ones, but the prominent meaning is Bethany means house of figs. So what we've got is this town, and he's coming here, and now he's going to use a fig tree as this kind of an example Here's something else, just just some other things. I think it kind of helps us get a perspective. Archaeologists believe, they say, scientists will tell you this, that the fig tree, they believe, is one of the oldest fruits, the oldest fruit crops known to man. I find that kind of interesting, and the Bible kind of backs that up. What's the first fruit, if you know the Old Testament, what's the first fruit mentioned in the scriptures? Genesis chapter 3 says, When they sinned, they sowed together fig leaves. So the figs is the first fruit mentioned in the Scriptures. It's very possible, and I'm not stating a doctrine, that the the forbidden fruit that Adam and Eve ate may not have been that shiny red apple at all. could have been a little fig because that was the leaf that they were able to then grab very quickly when everything went south. Does that make sense? We have this idea. Figs have that kind of a a prominence. And so over in that part of the world, that was an indigenous plant. That was something that was very, very well known. The people used it. It It's a good, healthy fruit, but it was also something that they knew very well, especially in this town of, of Bethany. The fig trees would have been prominent, would have been real, and they would have known it. But also, as you go through the Old Testament, you'll find that the fig tree has this idea of abundance, Whenever they were going into the promised land, the children of Israel were promised it would be a land that had these huge grapes and pomegranates and figs. So if you, if you want to talk about abundance, if you've got lots of figs, then, I mean, we talk about having the, the dollars, right? If you had figs, you were considered to have an abundance. Does that make sense? But also, the Bible actually refers to the children of Israel themselves as a fig tree. So now are you seeing that maybe this illustration has, what did we say last week? There's more than meets the eye. That maybe if Jesus is using a fig tree, there's a lot, just the people there would have suddenly gone, oh, okay, we're talking about figs. We know figs. Now in this room, I don't know how many of you know figs, but they knew figs. This became something that was very real, very prominent to them. So let's go back and let's read this again to see what is happening. Because what's going to happen next, they understood figs. But what Jesus does, I promise you, he's done it for 2,000 years, left some people scratching their heads. Why why this reaction? So the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, house of figs, Jesus was hungry. Now that goes to show us one thing. Jesus, he was God, but he also experienced the same human emotions, the human feelings. He was hungry. He knew that that that, uh, feeling and that understanding. And it makes sense that he would have been hungry, thinking about this, Matthew tells us about this story that this happened early in the morning. Now, by Jewish timetable, your early in the morning probably was somewhere before 6 a.m. Now, some of you in here, you understand before 6 a.m. Some of you didn't know there was two sixes on the clock. I I get that, okay? But it was. It was early in the morning, okay? And so we're talking early in the morning. Jewish breakfast was not traditionally had until mid-morning. So they're getting started with their day early in the morning. They're not going to have breakfast for a while. And the last verse we read about the the triumphal entry said that they came in late to Bethany. So chances are they missed supper the night before. So Jesus is hungry. He hasn't eaten. Breakfast still hasn't been served. And so you've done this. You're getting on your way to work. You've been kind of rushing around. You say, guess what? I'll just grab something on the way to the office, right? Well, that's kind of what Jesus said. Listen, guys, let's get going. We'll grab something on the way. Now, they don't have McDonald's, okay? So what are they going to do? Look, lo and behold, a fig tree. There's a fig tree as they're walking in this journey from Bethany to Jerusalem, and they they see this, and, and here's what it says. Seeing, verse 13, in the distance, a fig tree in leaf. I want you to underline that phrase, fig tree in leaf. That's going to be significant. He says he went to find out if it had any fruit, and when he reached it, He found that it had nothing but leaves. It's like that early morning, you're going to grab something, you go to McDonald's, and for some reason they're closed. What? No, I need my egg McMuffin, right? Okay, you come to the fig tree, and there's nothing there. It's in leaf, but there's no fruit. The Bible continues to say, there was nothing but leaves, and now underline this next phrase, because it was not yet the season for figs. I want you to look at those two phrases because they're going to become important as we continue to talk about this this, this story. Verse 14, he says, Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. He looked at the tree. It had no fruit. He said, No one will be able to eat. I curse you. No one will be able to eat from you again. This is where some people say Jesus was just having one of those bad Mondays. Hadn't had his coffee yet. something. He was just, why, why this extreme overreaction? I mean, surely there was going to be something else between two miles between Bethany and Jerusalem. Why this, why, why this idea? In fact, uh, several skeptics will use this particular passage when they want to malign Jesus or they want to malign the Word of God and say, see, this just is ridiculous. This stuff." Because, and, here's, and, and I want to quote a couple of what they say about this story. Some of the skeptics say this. Jesus was just, if he was real, he was just a spoiled brat. Misusing his powers because he didn't get what he wanted. That was one quote. Another quote said this, that Jesus was just throwing a temper tantrum. And I'm just wondering if this event even ever really happened. Another one said this, why, did he, uh, why didn't he just use his magic powers if he was so strong and just put fruit on the tree? Or to take that even further, why did he need the tree anyway? I mean, he's God. Just create food. Why does he need this? Why this reaction to this tree being out of, in fact, I read someone who claims to be a follower of Christ, and here's what he said about this day, what they call Monday of the the last week in in, uh, religious tradition, it's called Holy Monday. And this guy said, well, Holy Monday was the day that Jesus got really mad. Here's, that's an interesting thought, and perhaps he was. But if you read this again, you do not going to see that word anywhere. You're not going to see, there are times in the scriptures where it talks about Jesus being in indignation, being in wrath, being mad. It doesn't say that here. Now, maybe he was. We, I'm not saying he was or he wasn't, but what I'm saying is that's reading an emotion in there. What I want you to know is there's more to it than, this, than just what meets the eye. This is a, something he's trying to teach these guys, and he's going to use this particular fig tree. All of this makes sense. But remember, there's two phrases I want you to get. One of them, let's go back to this one, it said it was not the season for figs. Now, here's another more ammunition for skeptics. So they say, so everybody in the country knew it wasn't fig season. If, so either Jesus was dumb, he wasn't very smart. Or he was, he was just ignorant of the, of the ideas of the crops, or this outburst was just something temperamental because everybody knew there wouldn't be... There's no The figs aren't in season, and everybody knew that. But what we don't know, and maybe if you fig experts out there, you can enlighten me later, but what I've learned about figs is something very interesting. The difference about figs, what's kind of unique about a fig tree, is that they produce their fruit before they produce leaves. So, if you're seeing leaves on a tree, what does that tell you? It's telling you there should already be fruit there. In fact, this tree, if, it has, if it's full of leaves, it should be full of fruit. That's why I wanted you to circle that, other, that statement, because he said he saw the tree in leaf. What he saw was a tree that should have been full of ripe fruit. It should have been breakfast on the road. But when he got there, there was nothing but leaves. So part of the problem was not just that there wasn't any fruit. The problem was this tree was was a deception in in an object lesson. It was saying something that it wasn't. It was claiming to be full of fruit by having all these leaves, but when you get there, there's really nothing. There's just trees. There's just leaves. There's just foliage. There is no fruit. It should have been large and ripe fruit, and there was nothing that was there. It's deception. We would call it, if it was a person, we'd call that hypocrisy. It says it has something, and it really, when you check it, it really has nothing. I I can't prove this, but just in my humble opinion, I think Jesus put that tree there on purpose. I don't think, I I just, you want to talk to skeptics? Jesus could do what he wanted. I think he had an object lesson. He wanted to get across, and this, as they walked through, but as we come to this, this whole idea, this hypocrisy, this fruit of deception, but before we get to the middle, I want you to skip to the bottom and see what happens in this story. Look at verse number 20 with me. So in the morning, now that would be Tuesday morning, okay? We're going to look at some things happen all day Monday, but the next morning, Tuesday morning, as they went along, They saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you have cursed is withered. So let me give you another example. Now the sad part of this is this is a real tree. And it sits in my office. And I forget to water it on occasion if you haven't noticed. (laughs) And in fact, I think it's finally given up the ghost. I've brought it back to life a few times, but <laughs> just to give you an idea, you see the difference. We have a tree full of leaves. Now we have a tree that's withered from the roots up. Man, what a. What a and, and this all happened in a matter of hours. Literally, Matthew tells us it may have happened in a matter of minutes, and they didn't notice it till the next morning, but it happened very quickly. It went from this. To this. By the next morning, this is what they saw. Now, here's what we know over the majority of the three years of Jesus' ministry, he did a lot of miracles. He did a lot of, in fact, that's why the people we we saw last week, that's why they were gathered to cheer him on because they had heard about his miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. So miracles were a part of who he was, and that's what drew so many of the crowds. They wanted to see him. But this is the last, one of the last miracles of Jesus, and it's a miracle, but it's a different one. Of all the other miracles, this is the only one that the miracle actually is destructive. All the other miracles were healing in some form. This one is destructive, but it's a miracle nonetheless, but it's, a, it's, it's something very odd, very very unique to this. What we know is Jesus is choosing some, some very important lessons to teach his guys, to teach these 12 guys and whoever else is with them in this entourage as they move in to Jerusalem. But before we teach this, these lessons, I want to go to the next four words, at least according to my translation. We're in verse number 21 And the first four words of verse 22, and you'll see them on the screen. I want you to say them with me, if you would. The next four words together, have faith in God. Let's say that one more time. Have faith in God. Folks, this phrase, because of where we're looking, this, this fig tree picture goes all the way through this story, and I think this becomes the key what we're going to learn, what Jesus was trying to tell them. Have faith in God. Now, this wouldn't work in Greek, but in the English, it's kind of interesting. F-I, if you were to take the last three words, what did the first letter of each word spell? Fig. (laughs) So just to remember this story, have fig, (laughs) have faith in God. Now, the reason I want to share that is because as we talk about just this phrase, have faith, what we're talking about, faith is trust, it's belief, it's, a, it's, it's, what, it's the concept of what you believe and, and your trust and dependence upon what you say you believe. Have faith, have dependence, have, rely on this. But he goes on to say, have your faith in God. That's the critical part. The truth is, every one of you have faith in something. I mean, throughout your day, you're going to put your faith in something. Let's just, be, let's just be simple. You put your faith in that chair you're sitting in, or you wouldn't be sitting in it. Now, you didn't think about it. You didn't even, most of you didn't check to see if it worked. But trust me, you're, you are putting a faith in something right now. The, the object of the faith is what's important. You can put, you'll put your faith in something. Everyone does. But the critical idea is what are you putting your faith in? And Jesus is going to say in the middle of this whole scenario, the key is that you put your dependence, you put your reliance, you put everything that you have, your trust, and you figure out that you put it in God. And that's what's going to make the difference. That's one of the things that we're talking about, fruit and faith, and this fig tree, that becomes so important is that we understand what it means to have faith in God. God. So we're going to go back now to verse 15. That's where Monday picks up again. And we're going to look at what happens with this, this idea of what Jesus, but let's, let's, before we get there, remember, Jesus has just cursed the fig tree before we get to verse 15. And in cursing his fig tree, all these disciples heard it. They heard what he said and, 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 and he didn't curse it just because it didn't have fruit. He cursed it because it advertised that it had fruit, but it didn't. It was a a deception. It said it had fruit, but there was nothing there. So he's just cursed the fig tree, and now look what happens in verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He goes in the temple and he begins to turn over the tables, been driving out those people that are selling in the the temple courts. He overturned the tables of money, the the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. This is the second time Jesus has done that that we have record of. He did it early in his ministry in John chapter 2. He went in and he cleaned out the temple once before. Now in the last days, I mean his last hour, one of the things he finds necessary to do is to go in and make sure they understand the reality of true worship and what true worship is supposed to look like and so he goes in and, and then he, he's going to address them but, but uh, skeptics again that there's, I found a lot of people use this particular story for a lot of things to say about Jesus and here's one of the other ones why this outburst of anger I mean, he's going in, and he's, he's just acting like he's out of control, and, and there's, no, there's something that he's just, again, is, there, is it Monday? Is it the, what is it that is, that's wrong about this? But here's what I want you to make sure you understand. This day didn't come as an accidental, spontaneous reaction. If you were to go back, and I'll show it to you, verse 11 of that same chapter, Verse 11 tells us that the night before this all happened, Jesus entered in Jerusalem. This is after the parade of the, of the, uh, the triumphal entry. After he went in Jerusalem, he went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but it was already late and he went out to Bethany with the 12. That happened the night before Jesus goes in and clears out the temple. Do you understand that when Jesus went out and cleared out the temple, that was calculated? That was deliberate? That was a specific event based on what he had seen happening. He knew exactly. There wasn't a, a fit. He was in anger over a, an outburst. This was, if there was, could be an anger involved, but it was based off something he had seen, he had, he had talked about, he had calculated what he was going to do as he walks into that. And he walks in and as he's cleaning house, look at verse 17, what he said. And as he taught them, now remember, we've got this fig tree he's just cursed. Now he goes in, he cleans out the temple and then he sets people down he begins to teach them. And listen what he says. Is it not written my house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of robbers the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began looking away to kill him for they feared him because a whole crowd was amazed at his teaching jesus when he went in the temple what he saw was this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all the world to come and to see god and they turned it into a flea market they turned it into this, this place, and, and they had made excuses. Well, we need, the, we need the doves for sacrifice, and we need the money change because you only serve, use certain money within the temple. And they had justified, but what they had done is they had turned God's temple into a circus. And it was supposed to be a house of prayer, and they'd made it this, this place. And, and not only was, it, was the merchandise being selected, but there was also, they were ripping people off. And people coming from miles away that had no cho- It's like going to a baseball game at the stadium. And once you're inside, you, you, you have no choice, right? And once they're inside, they had no choice but to pay these exorbitant prices. So they're ripping people off, and they're making his house a, a circus and all of these things that are happening. And, and Je- But remember the illustration of the fig tree. He's coming into this temple that is full of activity. It's full of things that look like it's good. But when you look a little closer, there's no fruit there. It's not what it's supposed to be. And this illustration of the fig tree is showing that's what Israel has become. They, have, they look so good. Everything looks like so busy, but there's really no fruit. And here's the first thing I want us to, to take home from this today. Genuine faith. Remember, have faith in God produces fruit, not just foliage. The faith that we say that we have, the faith that when we talk about have faith in God, that's in contrast to what Jesus saw when he went into the temple. These people were busy. They were doing all the religious things. They had faith in something, but they g- lacked a genuine faith in God. That's what Jesus is saying. He's walking around this flourishing temple. I mean, it's all kinds of religious activity. And the, the leaders were probably saying, man, this is a very successful Passover. Look at all the people here. Look at all the money we're making. Look at all the things. This is successful. And Jesus looks up the, over the leaf and he said, but there's no real fruit here. This is all foliage. This is all to look good. But down deep, there's something that is missing. You see, one of the things that Israel, because it was told by the, to be this fig tree, one of the reasons the people were so mad at Jesus by the time you get to Thursday is because they wanted him to come in and take over and attack the Romans, and at least with his words, if not with the, with the sword. And what's the first thing he does on Monday after this thing? He attacks their religious system. He attacks their, their, their temple. He doesn't even bother with the Romans. He goes right to the Jewish religious system and says, there's a problem here. And let me show you what Matthew said about this event. He said, therefore, Jesus said, I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people, and look at this, Who will produce its fruit? He said, Israel, you're religious, you're busy, but that's just leaves. There's no fruit there. It looks good. People are looking and saying, look, we could find God there, and there's no fruit. There's nothing that's happening. At one point, Jesus said this, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You're worshiping here in this temple. You're doing all this stuff, but there's no change on the inside. It's all just to look good. It's all, just, it's, it's all just window dressing. It's all just something to look good on the outside, but there's no fruit of change on the inside. They claim to worship God, and then they reject the very one God sent to save them, and that's Jesus who's standing right in front of them. It's all leaves. It's all foliage. There's no real fruit. They were worshiping the religious system rather than worshiping God himself. Have you guys connected some of the dots? Some things never change, do they? How many people do we know, how many times do we personally do all the right busy religious things and we make sure we look good to the people seeing us we make sure that religiously, so many people are doing the, the in the name of good deeds and religion, they're, they're hoping that those things are going to, to, to count when it all comes down. And if I've done all enough good things, it's going to, and, and they're doing the good, and, it, and it, it's great, it looks like leaves, and, and people would look at him and say, wow, you're a very spiritual person, you're a very religious person, but as Jesus looks under the leaf, there's no fruit there. It's all, just, it's all just windows. It's all just something that you can see, and yet it's just leaves. There's, there's no fruit. It's religion without a relationship. It's just people doing all the things that they think they need to do, and it, it just to make sure they look good, but is there any fruit? But let's not just pick on those who haven't received Christ, those of us who are followers of His. Let's make sure, and I want to start right here, is what I say is my faith. Is it real? Is it, is it fruit? Is the Holy Spirit working in my life and changing my character? Is the is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, are those things coming out in my life? Am I, is, is there real fruit? Or am I just putting on some kind of religious show? Is it just leaves? Or is my life really showing the fruit of God making a change in my life from the inside out? Wow, what a powerful picture, Jesus. This, this tree... It wasn't the problem with the fruit. It was the fact that it said it had fruit and it didn't. And he said, That looks just like what I see here in the temple. It, so much stuff going on. And I wonder, as he looks in our hearts, if that's what. Here's what I know. Wrote in, later in this same week, John chapter 15, Jesus has his disciples together. And look what he says to them I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Remember, fruit is the goal, not foliage. It's not so you look good to others. It's that your heart is right with God, that your heart is changing, that God is changing from the inside out. And and you know that, and God knows that when he inspects. What does that look like in your particular life? Are Are we truly trying to be successful on our own? He says, you can't do that. You can't even do this without me. It's by remaining in me, dwelling in Christ, staying in that connection, growing in your walk with him so that he will produce the fruit in your life. He says, listen, have faith in God. My question is, is your faith real? That's just the evaluation thought. Is our faith real? Are we basing our faith on something that looks good to others and some religious system? Are we basing it on the fact that we have a faith in a God completely to save us, a faith in God to grow us? How how is our faith? How how does that look like in our life? So genuine faith produces genuine fruit. But I want you to notice something else. Genuine faith, as we move through this passage, also removes the word impossible. This is where it gets exciting. As you move through this passage, remember what we just saw, Peter comments, and he said, huh, Jesus, remember that tree we saw yesterday? There's that tree today. It's all withered. It's changed. Boy, this is is crazy. How did all this happen? And then Jesus responds with those four words, have faith in God. Now, that's a contrast to not having genuine faith. We've already seen that. But now he's trying to show them that, gentlemen, here's what I want you to see. What we saw yesterday was not real faith. The temple, that's not real faith. That was all show. It was all leaves. They've got to get their heart into it. But I want to show you guys that if you have faith in God and you walk with me, there is something incredible that can happen through your lives. And this genuine faith produces the ability to just take the word impossible right out of your dictionary. You thought this fig tree thing was huge. Let me show you what else. So here's what Jesus said, verse 23. He said, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain... Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Again, the critics get all up in arms. Oh, that's absurd. Who's ever seen a mountain move from one place to another? This is re- Jesus, this was ridiculous. But they're missing the point. Remember, there's more here than meets the eye. A couple of things. Number one, in Jewish literature, if you study any of that, you'll find that this was a popular saying. If you want to say something's impossible, or you want to say you can do the impossible, you would say you want to move a mountain. Because it, it's an impossible task for us to move. So that was just an expression. Other pe- but what I find very interesting when he said, if you say to this mountain, so see, put yourself there in the place with me. He is on the Mount of Olives. That's a, that's a mountain that's right outside the city of Jerusalem, heading towards Jerusalem. He's on this Mount of Olives. And at that time, you could stand on that Mount of Olives. And if you looked over that direction, you could see what's called the Dead Sea. It, it kind of appeared. Now, things have changed topography now, but at that point, you could see that. So look what Jesus says. He goes, guys, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain right here, Mount of Olives, hey, be cast into that dead sea, and it could happen. He used an ex- right where they're standing. And he said, you can make this mountain move from here to here. Now, that's impossible, but Jesus, what Jesus is trying to tell him is that this is very, so some people say, well, he was just being me- metaphorically, you know, that you can't really move mountains. Here's what I want you to get. The point was Jesus was being very real. He was saying, listen, if that's what is necessary, I have the power and you have the power through faith in me to even move an actual mountain from here to there. It's that possible. What he's trying to say is, listen, if I can move a mountain, I can do anything. So if by faith you can move a mountain, then there is no obstacle that can stand in your way that God can't change. Are you getting what he's saying, how powerful this is? It's, if a mountain is possible to be moved, then God could move it. Now, we have people in our psychology today that say, there's nothing impossible for you if you just put your mind to it. That's not true. There are some things that you put your mind to and you try really, really hard, you're still not going to be able to do it in your own strength. So Jesus isn't asking you just to try harder. He's saying, if you'll remain in me, you'll trust me, you have faith in me, there are some impossible things that you can do. Now, will you ever need to move a physical mountain? Would they ever need to move the Mount of Olives from one place to the next? Just an interesting note. In Zechariah chapter 14, in a prophecy about when Jesus comes back, do you know what the prophecy says that at one point when Jesus stands on that Mount of Olives, where he was standing, that it would actually split, it, he promises that one day it's actually going to split in two, and part of it's going to move to the north, and part of it's going to move to the south. It's actually going to move. Why? Because he's God. And when he changes, he, and so what he's saying is, if I can move a mountain, think what I can do in your life if you have faith in me. If I can move a mountain, then there is not. What is a mountain in our life? What would be this mountain? It's any obstacle that's standing between you and your ability to do what God, is wanting, what God wants you to do or what needs to be done in your life. It's anything that might stand in your way. And what he's saying is, if I can move a mountain, then I can take care of any obstacle you're facing. What are some of the obstacles you're facing? Maybe it's, it's guilt over things you've done in your past. God says, I can move that. A painful past of just things that have happened to you. Maybe it's financial things. Maybe it's relational issues. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's fears. Maybe it's just coming in and saying, I, I can't do this. I've tried, and it just never has worked, and so it's failure. What is the obstacle? they right in front of you. You know what you need to do, and that, every time you come up against it, you say, I can't get any further. Jesus is saying, listen, have faith in God. And if I can move a mountain, which I can, I can, move any, I can move any obstacle that comes in your way. I can take care of anything that's standing in front of you, anything that would stop you from being what God, God says, that's the power that comes through having faith in Him. Now, let's think about that. Let's try to make it as practical as we can. I, I was reading this week in reflection on this, and I, and I saw three things that I thought you might be interested in hearing when it comes to this idea of moving mountains, it, listen to these. Give you three thoughts. You'll see them on the screen. Number one, speak to the mountain, not about it. Speak to the mountain, not about. Okay, so here's what Jesus said. If you were to say to that mountain, "You go into the sea," now that's kind of an odd thought, isn't it? He didn't say it necessarily you're speaking. Even to, you're just speaking to the mountain. Now most people, you'll, they'll. They would want to commit you if they see you out there talking to the, you move, and you're talking to a, a, a bunch of rocks. I mean, that, but w- there's something about the picture that he's trying to paint, the words that you speak, the things that you say that can make all the difference. We often like to talk about our problems, and we hardly ever get around to truly addressing the problem. We talk about it and how bad it is, and, and I failed again, and I can't do this. And, and Jesus is saying, you, you need to address the issue. You need to address the obstacle to standing in front of you. Here's a translation of these verses. I love this, this paraphrase. This is what it says. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And nothing will be too much for you. Now look at this next part. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump in the lake. And it's as good as done. Wow. Can you think, put it that in your life? Whatever that obstacle is, you say, listen, that, that, you, jump in a lake. And watch God do something incredible in your life. Hey, I didn't say that. Jesus did. He said, guys, if you have faith in me, there is no obstacle that God can't deal with in your life to get you to be where you need to be. This mountain-moving faith. Here's what I know. If you don't talk to the mountain, it will talk to you. And it will say things like, you can't do this. You've tried this before. It's never going to work. You're never going to be healthy. You're never going to get out of debt. You're never going to, you're never going to, you can't, you can't. It'll talk to you. It'll tell you everything that you can't do unless at one point you say, dude, stop, go jump in a lake and let God move something out of the way in your life. Speak to the mountain, not about it. Second thing, focus on God's power and not the size of the mountain. Focus on the fact that oftentimes when we see it, the mountain looks so big that it's just too, far, too big for us to handle. The, the Bible has several examples of people who faced mountain-type experiences, obstacles, obstacles. One of the, my favorites, and many of you are familiar with a guy named David in the Old Testament. David literally faced a mountain of a man named Goliath, right? Goliath's 10 foot tall or so. David's a teenager. He's going out against him. But here's what we know about, about Goliath, that he was threatening Israel. He taunted them. He was telling them how big he was, and no one could defeat him. And he would just and every t- everything that he said, it just continued to make them feel smaller and smaller. So here's what David does. David faces Goliath, and he says this. He said, you come against me with sword and sword spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. He says, the day, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Wa- David wasn't focused on the size of the giant or the mountain. He was focused on the size of his God. All the people around him were saying, oh no, there's just so, it's just so big, you can't, you can't do anything. And, and look how big he is. And David goes, but look how small he is in comparison to God. A lot of the people, and you've heard a song that goes with this, some of the people are saying, well, that giant's too big to hit. And David said, he's too big to miss. If I go after him, something's going to happen. It's a matter of focusing on the size of God, focusing on what God can do, rather than on how big that obstacle is in front of us. Because Jesus said, you have faith in God, you can tell a, a mountain to go jump in the lake, and it will move. Last thing, and that is, God may choose to move you, or move in you rather than move the mountain. God may choose a different path. Here's what we know. Sometimes you take jump in the lake, God can do that. But some of the mountains, number one, may have been caused by our own bad choices. We're facing some things that we're that, and God is going to have to change us. Rather than just take that those consequences out of the way, He's got to change us through that. That could be part of it. So He's going to be moving in you, but that's still moving a mountain. It's just from moving from the end. Some of the biggest mountains we have are right here of just changing who we are inside and changing. And, and the other part is sometimes God knows that the best way to build our strength and our character and our perseverance is to continue to help us to move. And, but he's moving it. He's moving the mountain, even if the mountain's inside of us. But God is moving what God has knows is the best for us. Here's what Paul said in Second Corinthians 12. He said, three times I pre- pleaded for the Lord to take this, this thorn away from me, this problem, this obstacle, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, so I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so Christ's power may rest in me. The biggest mountain I face may be just what's inside that God is changing. And so the mountain I see here is really something that's got to change here, and God's moving, and he says, just trust me. My grace, all sufficient grace, can get you to where it needs to be. But it comes back to four words. Have faith in God? Have we truly believed him in in who we are and what he is for our life, for our eternity? And are we walking in that faith in a daily existence in what we believe that he can do for us? So here's my question. How do we experience that on a regular basis? And I think our passage tells us exactly what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples. Go back to verse 24 with me and read this verse again Jesus wraps all that up with this he's given this illustration of the fig tree and it's withered and he's given moving mountains and then what does he say therefore I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours followers of Christ you've got to get this there is something you want to make this real this stuff about church i 've heard it all my life it really doesn 't affect my life. Jesus has given us a key right here how can we how can this daily experience be something that matters? How can it be something how can I live this way practically? The one word he uses is the word prayer It's the idea of what you do in your communication with God. Now this is this miracle of the fig tree if you would the, the cursing of the fig tree and its withering was one of his final miracles. But do you realize what Jesus has just said to you follower of Christ that you have the ability to see miracles and it comes through one word prayer. Is that not what he said? He said listen you want to move mountains tell the mountains to jump in a lake And then he says, and whatever you ask me in prayer, believing it will happen, it will be done. Is that not what Jesus told us? That you have the ability to do this miracle. In fact, he says in John, you'll even be doing greater things than I did. How can I do anything greater than? Through prayer. Prayer is our avenue to miracles that can change our daily existence. So what are we missing in our life that maybe is making this thing real is maybe we've got some obstacles and we're not dealing with them. And so this whole thing is just, it doesn't make any sense. And God's saying, but you've not, let me deal with the obstacle. Or maybe we're just not understanding how important it is that we develop a life of prayer, of communication. You say, oh, I say my prayers. I, I get that. And you probably do. But is prayer that that strong of a, of a component of your daily existence, that you and God spend time, that, that me, that I and God, we spend our time in such a way that it actually affects what I, you know, my decisions and I actually see him moving and working me and I can directly relate that to the time I spent with him in prayer that morning or the time I'm spending in prayer with him throughout the week, that I can point back and I can see that that has helped in my journey. Are you at that point? <coughs> Look at John 15, verse 7, excuse me. (coughs) Jesus will say again later, again in that conversation that he has with his disciples, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. People say, well, is that just this, this credit card I stick in and say, God, I want, I want, I want, and I pray. And do you understand this whole concept of God is wanting to make this real in your life? Not just leaves, but fruit. And he says that you understand this, you'll be bearing much fruit. You'll be showing yourself to be my disciples. But what is the key in both of these scenarios? It's speaking to God in prayer. It's that conversation, it's that communication, it's that spending that time knowing God and talking to him and that communication with him. In Jesus' final hours, he emphasizes these important things to his disciples. Let me remind you what they are. Final hours, three words. Fruit. How's your life? How is the fruit of your Is it real? Do you have a genuine faith, a walk with God? Faith. Do you believe that God can and will move those obstacles? And are you actually seeking for those distractions to be taken out of your life? But what's the third word? Prayer. What what is it in your life right now? Using this object lesson, Jesus said, guys, listen. My goal is fruit, not foliage. And in order for that fruit to be real in your life, there's a genuine faith. Have faith in God. Say that in your mind again. Have faith in God. Have faith in God for what? For first of all, is, is your faith real? Is it genuine? Do you have a, a is, is it something that is, that is not just a religious form or something that you do? Is, is your faith in God, has there been a point in your life when you truly experienced a relationship with him because you put your faith in him? You turn from trying to do it your own way and you receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Do you have a genuine faith? You can have all the leaves that you want, but faith is the key. And if you have a received Christ, is there any fruit that's showing there Are there things that God is showing you that, that is just you're just doing your own thing and God's saying, I, I need you to stick with me, to remain in me, to dwell with me because fruit is the issue. Fruit is the goal. How about that faith? What is it right now? What's distracting you from taking the next step? What's stopping you? What is it that's in front of you? Is it fear? Is it, is it just a, a, a guilt? Whatever, what is it that's standing in front of you from being where God, can you just this morning say, God, there's a mountain right there. I need that mountain in the lake because I need to move forward for you. And how's your prayer? Can we just start today? As we close here in just a moment and we bow our heads, maybe we start and say, God, I'm going to start this week, 15 minutes every day, just you and me talking in prayer. And for some of you, that's 15 minutes more than you've spent in a long time. Some of you, that's just a start of where you go. But wherever it is, commit to at least starting me and God every day. We're not talking about the weather. We're not. We're going to just. I'm just going to communicate with my Father. I'm going to pray to Him, and I'm going to ask Him to do things in my life that I could never do. Faith, fruit. In prayer. Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just take this time and do what we've, we've talked about. Let's consider the, the opportunities, consider the, the possibilities of truly having faith in God and what that could mean. It, it would mean that our life would be more than just foliage. It really would be something that is making a difference. It would mean that God is moving in miraculous ways in our lives and changing things and putting us in the right path, and it would mean that we're having a communication with the God of the universe. In all that Jesus could say in his last days, his last hours, he said, where's the fruit? How's the faith? And would you come to me in prayer? What does that look like for you? If you're here this morning and and you've not yet received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, you may be a good person by all standards of your friends and neighbors, but you know deep down you've never truly received the gift of eternal life. That faith isn't isn't real. It's a a church thing. It's a a good works thing, but it's never something that Jesus has moved in and, and you've been born again. This morning, would you from your heart, just cry out and say, God, I recognize I'm a sinner and I believe Jesus died and rose again for me. And I come to you in faith believing you died for me and I, re- I want to receive your gift. Would you save me today? Would you call out to him and let him save you today? Christian, let's just, let's just be real. Is, is when God looks at the tree of our life, does he see the fruit? And, and are we allowing him to work? Are we spending the time with him just to allow the fruit to produce Or is our life just a lot of busy, busy foliage? What what does that mean to you? Father, Lord, this this sermon just really touched my heart this week as I thought of the fact of I don't want to be just a a leafy tree. I want to be a fruit-producing follower of Christ. And, Lord, I know that's not going to happen unless my prayer and my communication and my walk with you continues to grow. So Lord, you've challenged me this week and I pray that you're doing the same with your people today. You're encouraging us to know that there is nothing too big that you can't take down. But you're also challenging us to know that we've got to let you address those things and we've got to spend time with you in prayer. So Father, speak to us, I pray. Call us and let us respond as you do.